All right, good morning and welcome to Peace. It's great to see you this morning and thanks for taking the time to be with us. My name is Nathaniel. I get to be pastor here with, with all of you as we together learn how to follow Jesus and to bring glory to God by loving one another. It's a great journey to be on together. Part of that is a, a journey to learn how to strengthen, to build deeper connections with the people around us and to keep strengthening those connections. That's part of our focus today as we take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to have some, some study notes for you to follow along with if you'd like to uh, as we to go through the sermon here. That's on page 9 in the service folder if you would like to do that. Uh, so study notes on page 9 and if you want to follow along in your Bible uh, there's a, a Bible there for you in the pew, page 930 and following, if you want to get with that. Thank you very much. Let's begin and hear God's word with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would strengthen us by the truth, for your word alone is truth. Amen. Let's take a minute here and, and read these words from 1 Corinthians 11. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good in the first place. I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Uh, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged by, in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. The word of the Lord. What we're going to take a look at today as we look at these words from the Apostle Paul, not so much as the instruction regarding the Lord's Supper, but some of the principles and the practices that he puts into place here as he tries to, I would say, strengthen the fellowship uh, amongst the believers in Corinth. Uh, and so I want to bring to light, bring some attention to those things and ask us that we would put them into practice in our own lives. As I said, we're taking a look at uh, the study of fellowship and that would include both the idea of Christian fellowship and church fellowship. And with this text here, we start to move a little bit from the idea of Christian fellowship to church fellowship and how we practice that. I'd like you to remember the question I asked you to think about last week, who are the five people or groups of people who most share themselves with you? Because that's the impact of fellowship in a nutshell. We become most like the people who most share themselves with us. So, in a nutshell, 
right? Those five people who are sharing themselves with you most make you, you. And it's worth thinking about who they are and how well you connect with them. Right, that's what I, we need to do now today. Last week, I just asked you who they are, and we got to celebrate the fact that we are connected deeply with many other people. But we get to go beyond that this week. We get to take a look, we get to think about the strength of those connections. Because the reality is, is while many of us have healthy connections with the five or so groups of people that most make us us, a lot of us have also unhealthy connections with those same kinds of people. We, we maybe take a, a family, for example. Maybe you're fortunate, you're blessed to have a, a good, healthy family, strong connections. At the same time, uh, some of us have very unhealthy families and unhealthy connections within those families. And what happens is, well, instead of those families making us into better versions of ourselves, they, they, they don't encourage health. Uh, a pointed example that I got from this one time, I was speaking with a, a pastor. We were just discussing a pa- with a pastor from another denomination. We were discussing the various values and practices of our, of our churches. And, and one of the values that he prized and celebrated at his church was a diversity of opinions and beliefs. What was interesting in the conversation is that he was bound and determined to convince me that we had the same diversity of beliefs and opinions in our congregation, but that I was just blind to it. And and so as I was sitting here listening to him and he was insisting, you really do, you, you have such differences and, and why would you ignore them? I was thinking to myself, all right, your point to me is that we have, you have a diversity of opinions, but you're insisting that I need to change my opinion uh, regarding our unity so that somehow we can be united at, regarding a, a, a diversity. Uh, this just does not seem to be the right way to start to create a stronger relationship together. It didn't seem very healthy to me. I compare that with what happened in the book of Acts. Uh, And the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we see a picture of the early Christians that had an incredible amount of diversity. There was just a a whole lot of variety amongst these early Christians. We had people from Persia and Mede and Parthia and all around the world. And yet when they came together, we hear one succinct statement about them that all the believers had everything in common. Now, isn't that exciting? They had everything in common. And, and this is a, a incredibly exciting, you know, that kind of fellowship, that strong, healthy fellowship. It wasn't a powerful thing. We learned that more than 2,000 people joined the Christian church in the first couple of days. Now, this week I was reading from Wells Pastor Joel Schultz who said that when people saw this kind of stuff going on among the early Christian community, they wanted to be part of it. This kind of living attracted outsiders to Jesus. We could go on and on with example after example of the power of fellowship. Well, let me ask you just this question. Would you, would you finish this sentence with me, please? If I want to build healthier, stronger connections, i.e. deeper fellowship with my five people or groups, I will or I would. How would you finish that sentence? What would you put in there? One guy I know says the formula for building stronger connections is simple. It's time together with food. 
And I think he's on to something. He's, the Apostle Paul this morning in 1 Corinthians 11 is drawing on a situation where people are spending time together with food. Uh, but Paul also has other things for us, and that's what we want to draw out as quickly as we can this morning. He's helping us make stronger, healthier fellowships by doing four things. First of all, he's helping us see what we need to take away, what we need to have, what we need to add, and what we need to multiply. If you're a a formula person, this should be a fun morning for you. You can take away something, subtraction. You can have something. You you start with something. You add, and you you multiply. All right, so here, let's take this uh, and take a look here at 1 Corinthians 11. Um, The Apostle Paul there is is discussing the Lord's Supper, and and yet there are a number of problems in it, namely that when the people are coming together, some people are eating first. They're eating before the others, and so the result is that there are divisions. There are different divisions and groups amongst them. Uh, And now, did you notice what the people felt, what the spiritual experience was because of these divisions, it really struck me. In the end of the section, verses 30 30 and following, Paul four times uses the word judgment. He says that the judgment fell on the people. The people felt judged. You know, as Americans, we, we coil at that word, don't we? We recoil at it and we say, wow, uh, that is just too bad. See, the, the problem was is that some went ahead of others in eating. By doing so, they reinforced cultural values instead of the Christian fellowship opposing cultural values. And Carlton Toppy, one of our commentators, he says that members who were better off went ahead with their own meals without waiting for anyone else and without sharing with the poor and underprivileged members. See, the problem amongst them was not that some, there were different groups of individuals. That's okay. We see, for example, that in Acts 2.46, that the Christians would gather together every day in the temple, and they would also come together in, in smaller intimate groups in their homes. That was not an issue. The issue here was the divisions, that the way that the Christians ate by one eating before the other based on who was wealthier and who was poor, reinforced the very cultural values that the Christians were supposed to be opposing. The first thing that we need to do to strengthen fellowships is we need to take away from them the false cultural values that they bring to the table. Um, and, and so the, the, the big idea here, the first little point we need to say is, is groups of Christians must oppose, not reinforce, false culture values. You can, you can fill that in if you like. And what's going to be the first blank then in our formula? What are we going to take away? We're going to take away false values, false values from our, our culture. Now there's a, a whole lot of things that we could talk about, right? The, the topics of, of money and family and power and sex and influence and work, they all have with them false 
cultural values. A, a very vivid example, pointed example of this that struck me is a, a woman who was working in a large American city. Not long after she started on the job, she made a mistake, a mistake that could have cost her her job. Her boss, though, uh, her supervisor, he went to his boss and instead of saying, you know, it was her fault, she made the mistake, he took the blame for her mistake. When she found out about this, she was so surprised. And she, she came to him and she said, you know, in all of my years of working, I've had bosses who take the credit for the things that I get right, but I've never had a boss who takes the blame for the stuff that I get wrong. Why would you do this? And he kept to himself. He wouldn't answer her question for a long time. Finally, he very, uh, he, he was, he modestly and quietly answered her question. He told her, you know, I am a Christian. The reason that I'm willing to use my power not to build myself up, but to take the blame for you, the fall for you, is because I'm a Christian. See, he took away the false cultural value, and in that way, he, he built part of a stronger relationship, a stronger connection with her. Why, would, why did he do that? Why, why would he be willing to use his power in that way? Uh, verse 19 here, the Apostle Paul tells us, Paul says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying that, you know, what are the different ways of behaving and acting among a group of people do? The different ways of behaving and acting actually show who has God's approval. Take this example, <laughs> right? Imagine that uh, right here, up, up front here, we've got a group of, of rich people. And so when we get together to have worship and the Lord's Supper, you know, they want to bring a little bit of a, an extra food together, but they, they want, they're kind of hungry, so they're just going to eat because they got their own food. And, and in the back there, there's a, a group of poor people. Uh, and, and so the people in the back, they see the people in the rich uh, up here in the front eating, and, and they're like, oh man, I guess we don't get to eat, right? So they just sit there. Now, I as an outsider, I walk into the event and I see all of the, the, the rich people up here eating and I see the poor people, you know, you can tell, right? You, by how they dress and the kind of food they eat and all of that. And I think to myself, well, gee, is that really how Christians are supposed to act? Uh, but then I, I come in too and I, I see that there's another group of, of rich people over here and they're, they're eating and they're, they're having the Lord's Supper, but they've also invited the poor people from back over there to come up with them. And so everybody over here is eating together and I say to myself, well, that, that, that looks how a, a group of Christians is supposed to act, right? So what, what, does, what do the different ways of behaving and acting do? They actually show me who has the approval of God. They show me who has the mark that says, in Jesus Christ, I am a, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of God. Now, it, it can be wrong. It, can, it is possible that the different ways of acting, behaving, they're, they're just lies. We're faking it. But if they're genuine, if the way that you're behaving and acting comes from a genuine heart of faith, it is also true that by their fruits you should know them. We can tell who has God's approval sometimes based on the way they act. And, and that's what this man who was asked by the woman, you know, why did you 
Use your power to take the blame, take the fall from me. Why did you do that? That's what he said. He, he went on. He said, I am a Christian. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for things I have done wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. What's going on to make you and I act differently in all of life is that God has accepted us in Jesus Christ. And so the thing we need to have if we're going to strengthen fellowship is that, that groups of Christians must have acceptance only in Jesus. We've got to stop relying on the acceptance of the, the world or of our boss or somebody else and trust, rely, depend upon only the acceptance of, of Jesus. And your formula, Mal, if you're going to keep expanding your formula, it might look like this. It might say false values. We need to take them away. And then we have acceptance. We, we add acceptance. And now we need just two more blanks. That will lead to stronger fellowship. So now what do we need to add to this mix? What do we need to bring into it? Well, what do you like to bring to fellowship meals or to, to meals where everybody is bringing a dish. Some people will call them potluck meals. What do you like to add into that? Are, are you an au gratin potatoes kind of person? Maybe a biscuits and gravy? Do you like to bring jello or, or maybe you're a simple chips and dip or, or a, a vegetable tray? I personally, I'm a cookie fluff kind of guy. I like to bring cookie fluff. Uh, so if you see a pile of cookie fluff, that's definitely from me. You know what the Apostle Paul would say about all of that? He would say, that's not the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. And he would, of course, be right. When we have such gatherings and we all bring a dish to share with everybody, that's not the Lord's Supper, and we all know that. What Paul was saying, though, was not the Lord's Supper, was this very meal where the people thought they were eating the Lord's Supper. That was not the Lord's Supper. And wow, that's quite a shock for them, huh? They came together to eat the Lord's Supper and they were not eating it. But what's equally shocking, what's equally surprising is that just because they were doing it wrong, they were coming together and, and eating with such divisions and thus bringing judgment on themselves, Paul didn't keep the Lord's Supper from them. The verses that we skipped in the lesson today are Paul's reiteration, restatement of the Lord's Supper. He says, what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. Paul looks at these Corinthian Christians and he says, you know, Jesus was starved for you. He ate the Lord's Supper on that Thursday evening. He didn't eat anything the rest of the night. He didn't eat anything all morning. You know, there was no breakfast. How do you do without breakfast? I'm not very good without breakfast. There was no mid-morning snack. And by noon, he was hanging on the cross, so there was no lunch. And when they offered him something to drink on the cross, he turned them down. You think, why would he do that? Why would he turn the drink down? Why wouldn't he want to drink? Because he was dehydrated. He was thirsty. He was starving. It's because you and I, you know, he knows that we have parched souls, right? Like us, he, he was going to thirst so he could do everything that we have. And if we've been thirsty then, then, and, and he has thirsted for us, then we can finally drink from him and be satisfied. He is willing to, to be thirsty so that he can give us 
what really will quench our thirst, what will quench our souls. He's, he's willing to be thirsty so that he can take and give to us a, a teaching, the substance that will satisfy our souls so we can stop hunting here and there for all of the things that might finally satisfy our very soul. That's what Jesus is willing to do. He's willing to be thirsty and starving, dehydrated even, so that you and I can have the very teaching that will give, give solace, satisfy our souls. All right, and, and that's the next, the next thing, is that Jesus is the only one who will satisfy starving Christians. So now we, now we get that if we have, take away false values, right, and we add or we have acceptance, acceptance of God, but now we get to add in some, some satisfying teaching, right? Just like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul would not hold away this teaching that would satisfy the Corinthians. He wanted to give them that substance so they could reestablish stronger fellowship despite the fact that they were right all all starving. They were acting like their souls were parched and thirsty. He added that into them and, and that was almost there. He was almost across the border. You and I know, you know, if you've tried to, well, most Christians, right, we stop there in trying to increase and improve, strengthen the relationships that we have with, with the people around us. And, well, honestly, that's a, a problem. And I, I saw another good illustration of this lately. Um, Wells President Mark Schrader, he tells how he went down south in America uh, one time to visit a church. It was Alabama, Mississippi. I can't remember exactly where, right? But he goes there and he says that going to this church, uh, they were interested in becoming part of the Wells. Um, it said it was eerily familiar. He went into it and they they had a picture of Martin Luther on the wall in the entry area. They had cups from Thrivent Financial. They had cookies and donuts and good Lutheran coffee uh, out. And I, I thought to myself, wait a second, you must go to a different Lutheran church than I do because mine don't have good Lutheran coffee. Um, and then, so he, you know, he, he went and he saw all these things. They had names like Mueller and Hebner and Schmidt. And it was like, kind of like coming home. Um, but after that point, you know, he said, all right, let's give them, see what they think about teaching. And, and at one point in the conversation, uh, you know, he pointed out to them that a, a church body like the one that they were part of, they were not part of the wealth, but the church body like what they were part of could only do what it did regarding sexuality if it did not think that the Bible was the inspired word of God. And you know, it, when he said that, nobody got mad at him. They all shook their heads and they all nodded their heads. He said, wow, right? they know what's satisfying teaching. Their, their souls are satisfied by good teaching. But then they got to the end of the conversation and they asked one question. He said, so if, you know, if, if we're part of the wells, are you saying that we can't have our joint VBS with the, the people down the street, the church down the street? And, and they were all, they knew the answer. They knew the answer. He didn't even have to say it. And they went away sad. It's something more than satisfying teaching, uh, even more than acceptance in Jesus, because Mark Schrader certainly knows what it is to be accepted in Jesus. Something more than that is needed to strengthen fellowship. Something more than that is. Something more on, on all of our parts. And, and the Apostle Paul pointed out to these Corinthians Christians. He says that 
that when the people eat first, they despise the church of God. He says that the people who eat in such an unworthy manner are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. He says that people need to discern the body of Christ. And what is he he's saying? He's saying that you're only going to strengthen the bonds of, of fellowship with the other people around you if you, if you come looking for so much more grace. If you come looking for so much more grace, you can find it in this place. Right? If you come with humility, there is some grace for you. If you come saying, I am, I am not worthy to be connected to, to all of these other people, then you will discover just how deep the connections really are. If you come saying to yourself, I, I'm not sure just how much Jesus Christ is living in me, then you will discover as you have the body and blood that, that Christ will come to life in you. If you come saying to yourself, hey, I am seeing, I am discerning, I am, I am connecting all of the people around the globe and my very minimal place in this whole thing, then you will discover just how much greater your connections really are. For those who come searching for grace, they will find it. And I, I heard a, a great example of this just a little bit ago. There was a woman named Anne who went to Ivy League schools. She got to marry the man of her dreams. She had three children, and she rose to a very prominent position, VP or something like that, in a, in a very large business. She went on a business trip one time with a number of her colleagues. They stayed out late at the bar having a, a few drinks. One of the co-workers was the last one to come uh, with her go to, to turn in for the night and outside their hotel room uh, she they kissed like three times she said and that was the end of it right that was the end of it she woke up though in the morning saying to herself that she that she had well she had betrayed the man of her dreams she went home two days later and for the next six years she said nothing she figured it was a one-time mistake with one witness, and he certainly wasn't going to say anything, and so she kept all of that locked up in a mental and emotional safe. The years passed by, and she knew that if this secret got out, it would be the end of her perfect life. If, if anything, she had lived an absolutely perfect life, Ivy League school, three kids, husband of her dreams, you know, it would be the end of her absolutely perfect life. But one night on vacation, she told her husband everything. He listened to her, he looked at her, and then he cried. She said, out of all of the responses that he could have had, that was the least expected one. I did not at all expect that response. And they went home a few days later. They talked to their friends. They talked to their family. They talked to their pastor. Over the next few weeks, as the, the situation developed and they talked to one another, her husband's heart broke. And each time his heart broke, her heart broke. But something else broke as well. That facade of perfectionism. 
as she grieved the loss of her perfect marriage, her perfect life, she also was broke in her need to fix and make everything good and right. And she said that as she, she went through that, she was overwhelmed by the one thing that she never thought was possible. Grace and forgiveness. She discovered that truth indeed did have the power to set her free. Anne's mistake was not without consequence, but in admitting it, she discovered something incredibly more powerful. She discovered a perspective on life where she was safe being imperfect. And she said to herself, if only I had discovered this six years sooner. There is grace. There is so much more grace for sinners. There is a powerful forgiveness for you and for me, for anybody who will come and ask for such grace. And it is that grace which will not only satisfy us, but build stronger connections. That's our, our big thing to remember today, that satisfied Christians, Christians who are not satisfied in themselves, but satisfied in the grace of Jesus, they build stronger connections. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to, to go home today and, and think about those five people or groups of people and pick one where you'd like to build a stronger relationship. Just pick one. And see which part of the formula you might need to add in right now. Which part of that formula do you need to apply to that relationship? See, maybe if you can even do it. I've got one example lately that I heard where I said, wow, it really just needs to happen. You know, a, a man and a woman, uh, the man was an, an uncle, a cousin, something like that, a distant relative, you know, and uh, the woman had lost, been in the midst of losing her husband in, um, to, to a battle with cancer. He would come and, and visit in the hospital, and, and he would just he'd make a lot of mistakes in loving her, and she was always critical and angry back at him. Uh, and so, well, now to this day, you know, they, they can't talk, uh, and they tried to come together with a, a friend and, and get some counseling, some help with the situation, sat there, <coughs> and within three minutes, they were blown up and arguing at each other, and then they just walked out of the room. It was, a, it was a terrible experience. They were not at all satisfied, maybe self-satisfied, but not satisfied by the acceptance, the strong teaching, and the grace of God. And so there was no way for them to build a stronger connection. What about you? Are you ready to accept such grace, have the acceptance of God, and finally build some stronger connections with the people around you? Can I pray for that for you? Heavenly Father, we ask for your, your forgiveness. Very often we come to so many of our relationships with an assumption that we are probably in the right or we're in the right position um, and that we've got the knowledge and the wisdom that it takes to fix them. So we're not willing to step out and to ask for humility, for help, and for forgiveness.
We pray for your power to be among us, uh, that as we repent of such arrogance, uh, that you would change our hearts and lives and build genuinely deeper, stronger connections with all of us. Uh, and then let us see those groups of people that we are part of expand and grow as we experience, we know the power of a joyful fellowship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.